I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Al Pellets, uh, this is Brian Myers. I am here with Mike Ritalik and Becky Haddad. Um, as the Al Pellets crew, we are welcoming you back to part two of COVID-19 Ag Teacher Edition. Uh, we've got our panel of experts here still with us, but we'll go through the, we'll go around the horn real quick and allow them to introduce themselves again. I will encourage you, if you're, if you're just hearing this podcast, to go back and listen to part one. Um, as we talk about some of the impacts of COVID-19 and how all the ag teachers out there survived and, and thrived during that. But Cassie, we'll, we'll start with you. Just do a quick introduction as we go around the horn, if you would. Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Cassie Smith. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Idaho, and I had the opportunity during the COVID pandemic to work with my undergraduate students on a research project in which we asked teachers how they implemented technology and what changes they made to their curriculum because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi everyone, my name is Reagan Ramage. I'm a recent graduate of Louisiana State University and I'm actually a first year teacher myself. I just accepted a position here in Santa Mall, Louisiana and I had the opportunity to have a conversation with some of our early career teachers last summer. I'm Aaron McKim, assistant professor at Michigan State University. On the theme of the pandemic, one of the words was uncertainty, right? As teachers, we were never certain what's going to come next. I thought this was only going to be one discussion. Now it's two. So we're living the uncertainty that was uh, a part of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I had the chance to work with Dr. Sorensen on a study where we evaluated the challenges that ag teachers experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm Tyson Sorensen, Associate Professor at Utah State University. Um, I've enjoyed working on this project with Dr. McKim and, and looking at these, uh, the challenges of ag teachers during the pandemic. All right. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us for part two. Uh, blink twice if you are held outside of your will. Uh, but this is not, a, you know, it's an audio podcast. They won't be able to hear you or see you blink in your eyes anyway. So that's why you can use that one. Um, so we, we talked a lot about some of the challenges last time. I thought maybe during this this conversation, let, let's just talk a little bit as we're living this right now, what are some things we learned through this past year's experience that we want to keep? And again, it, it, that is not to downplay how challenging COVID was both personally and professionally to our families and to our profession, but I think we learned a few things that we, we may want to keep a hold of. And, and I guess my, my caution to us all is not just to throw everything out when we go back to the quote new, you know, back to normal sort of thing. And so what are some things you all saw from your research, from your experience, from your own personal lives that you want to keep for that you learned during, during this COVID experience? 
I can share first, and I may have a little bit of a vested interest in this as an early career teacher now myself, but one of the largest takeaways was how important our early career teachers got to feel because um, they felt so attached to being able to easily adapt with the technology. And I think that's a really unique component where normally we know we have a shortage. And so we get these early career teachers to enter and then they kind of automatically enter at the bottom of the hierarchy. And so making them or giving them the opportunity to feel important and um, know that they themselves can be an asset to those older career teachers is something that I think is gonna be really important to maintain and look for those opportunities to present to them, you know, as we move forward. And I think there's a lot of ways we can do that. And that may be from allowing them to offer maybe professional development or things like that. I, well, I was just going to say, I think that's a two-way street, right? It's the more experienced teachers like, hey, the younger teachers have value. They got new ideas, new skills that they can bring to our professional organization. But it's also from the young teachers, you have value. Engage with your professional organization. Engage with other teachers, not just to consume, but to also deliver, to be, uh, to be at the front of the stage during professional developments, uh, providing and, and lending your insight. So I think that's really cool uh, insight, Cragen. I think it made it more okay to reach out for help. I think that it, it changed the way an ag teacher thinks about calling someone up because everyone was calling everyone. And so for those younger teachers, the opportunity to call and reach out with things or older teachers that technology was being used differently and feeling comfortable to reach out to those younger teachers to ask for help is something that in a pre-COVID world didn't exist naturally and COVID made that okay. And I think that that continues as we see that now that interaction is, is much more the norm um, and reaching out and using technology. That being said, I think there were some older teachers who were surprised at how that technology paired in their classroom so well and using it for appropriate hands-on and face-to-face -face instruction. Uh, the technology can still supplement a lot of the things that are done in the classroom. I think that's great to talk about there too. I mean, the the ability to use technology to, con to connect. I think we were, we were, some of us were, were shocked at how disconnected so many people were prior to going to COVID and it kind of exacerbated that whole thing. We saw how, how disconnected people were, even though they were in the same room sometimes. And yes, I missed being in the, in the office and in the classroom with students or going to conferences and sitting down and seeing you all face to face, but I was able to use Zoom and other technology to, to connect more often with several people for you know happy hours after work or just to check in with each other. And I hope I don't lose that, that ability just to check in with each other. And as you're saying, know it's okay to kind of connect and know that it, it, it's, it's okay not to be okay sometimes. And you can share that with each other and to support each other to do that. And I hope, I hope we and I don't lose that as we go back into this new normal. Yeah, and I think this is this is really important from a relation standpoint, but also just from an efficiency standpoint. There are so many things I think we learned from this that there's some meetings, there's some, you know, committees that can can do things that don't have to meet face to face. And I think just from an efficiency standpoint, there uh, there's some really good takeaways from this. I think it's provided the opportunity to know what needs to happen face to face and what might not in providing more valuable time when we are face-to-face. -face. I think I've been part of committees that have met pre-conferences that I hope continue to meet virtually before a conference. 
because that allowed work to be done. And then face-to-face was for building those deep personal connections. And I think that's more efficient as we move forward. And I think aside from efficiency, when we talk about that home and work-life balance, this is a perfect opportunity to allow you know, individuals to have more time where they can hop on that online meeting and things instead of adding the two hour drive. And that takes away more time that they could be at home. And so I think this optional, I would expect should have an increase in that satisfaction. I agree, Reagan. Thanks for bringing that up. I think that we've learned a lot about work-life balance with, with this pandemic. And, and there's certainly um, some things that we need to take with us. And that's exactly one of them, one of those points. Well, Anytime we have kind of a break in what we're all doing or what's collectively happening, it's a good opportunity to take that opportunity to reset your priorities and reset your boundaries. As teachers move back into the classroom full time for a next academic year, it's a great time to think about how will you protect your time? Because you've kind of got a fresh slate because COVID's happened and now everything's new. So you have kind of that opportunity to rebuild all those fences that might not have been in place in the past. And I think that that idea of priorities and kind of a reflective time, I think I think kind of establishing what can be shifted into an, a remote experience or a Zoom meeting, but then also feeling comfortable that there are things that you haven't been able to do that were in person that now you get to do, and and really valuing that opportunity and not overlooking, um, you know, the the importance of being one on one and and those things that give us meaning and give us purpose as agricultural educators, whether they're in person or, or online, we make sure that we reinstate those into our practice and not let those elements kind of fall by the wayside just because of uh, the pandemic. To that point, maybe yeah. if we could talk a little more about what that looks like. If I think about like, I was really fortunate I got to have one of my classes meet twice before the end of the year in person. And it was super awkward. And like, some of you are like pointing the finger at me and that's probably fair. But there was also this piece where we spent a year, like we'd wrap up the discussion, we'd hit a red button. We like, we had this order of like how we relearned how to communicate that when we got back in class, like I literally had a day, we had a discussion after class, the discussion wrapped up, everyone sat there and looked at each other in silence and then just quietly stood up and left. So what are some of those things that we need to be thinking about, Erin, as far as reestablishing those those live relationships and coming back coming back together. I did some student teaching observations this spring in classes that hadn't been able to meet until that week. And the amount of silence in those classrooms was baffling to me. And these are classes of full of 30 freshman students and no one's interacting. I think we forgot how to do that. So I think it brings the importance to our leadership skills, the skills of helping make those connections and rebridge. And you almost have to rebreak the ice with every human who hasn't had that broad communication for a whole year or so. I think that's a that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. That we need to we need to we're going to be excited to jump into curriculum and jump into contest and expect all of these things to just like start going 60 miles an hour where we need to take a break and say, no, I might have to dedicate some time in my instruction, in my, uh, in my FFA, uh, through my SAE uh, network to reestablish relationships, to remember, <laughs> remember how to, how to interact um, in appropriate professional manners. And to Cassie's point, also reteach some of those skills. Um, and so I think that's a, 
I appreciate being uh, be reminded of that opportunity. Oh, one question. One question I've had is, you know, it took an entire pandemic for us to hit that reset button. Moving forward, are there ways for us to reflect on these and be critical um, in our reflections and, and hit that reset button in our teaching practices without having a pandemic? And how do we do that? What does that look like? I hope one of the things we get out of that is that people understand they have permission to do that. And Tyson, I think, I think you get it that you have permission without having to wait for a global pandemic to do this, that we, we, we invest in the time because I think so many times ag teachers are going so hard, so fast that when they do have a free moment, they just crash and trying to, you know, re, re, revive and rejuvenate rather than being intentional about having some time to, to look about your own practice and, Unfortunately, it's ag teachers, but I think it's also human nature that sometimes we, we wait until there's a, a crisis. This time it was a pandemic, but unfortunately too often it's a personal health or personal, some other kind of personal crisis that makes us reevaluate. But I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying, Tyson, is that each of us need to build into our rhythms uh, a time to, to reflect and see where we need to be investing. I like this thought. Part of it is when we talk, the, this pandemic was a crisis. Um, and it impacted people in a lot of different ways. And in some ways, it was very, very difficult for people. Um, in others, I think it brought out the best of them. They were in a different situation. And we had a lot of ag teachers that stepped up to the plate and says, I know another ag teacher needs help, or how can I help? And, and a lot of those were teachers that, that may not have stepped up before. And it, maybe it's part of that reset button or, or a realization that they had something to offer at that time. So I hope that we can see it, myself included. I hope we um, think about those things that were brought out in the best of us. And if we were helping coach and mentor other teachers and, and other colleagues, that uh, that continues as part of that relationship moving forward. And Tyson, to your, to your point of that, you know, that we gave permission because of a global pandemic. I'm hopeful that those who are planning professional development and planning in services now realize the importance of building that time in and pushing that simulated pause button at times when teachers are together to, you know, allow for reflection, to allow that reset to happen much more often than it did um, because of a global pandemic. So I have, I have one question uh, I want this group to be thinking about. It's a, it's a down in the weeds, very practical kind of, kind of question here. And it focuses around, you know, FFA competitions, LDE, CDEs, and those sort of things. In so many of our states, those transitioned, at least at the prelim form or whatever, to an online format. And in a lot of states, we saw increased um, participation and access to that. What do we do with that now that we're able to gather back face-to-face -face with the, uh, the idea of, an, of some sort of online component to our FFA events? I think it's a, I think it's a really good question, and it, it calls back to some research that I, I did with a graduate student a few years ago where we, we kind of concluded that FFA is better when it's um, less intense for more people than what it is more intense for a fewer number of people. And so I think what we often think about FFA is, okay, I got to take the, you know, I got to get this small group of students and engage them in this really uh, inter intense experience. But maybe that's not the best way to approach it. Maybe if we look at FFA as how can I get all of my students to get this, in our research, we call it the battery pack. Like FFA is a tremendous motivator for student engagement. So how do we 
uh, engage? How do we spread the love of FFA to, to more students and maybe have a hierarchy or, or a, a scaffolding of experiences where there's a, an entry level FFA experience where anyone in your class can engage in it. And then there's kind of continue on through that and, and maybe then it transitions into in-person experiences. But I love the question. And I think it's critically important that we think not how can I get things, uh, more intense experiences for fewer numbers, but how can I have more experiences for a broader range of students in my program? I, I think we learned that we now have the skill set to do that. So it's exciting that there are so many teachers who had the opportunity to run virtual events, whether that was at a district or an area level or at the state level, that we can now kind of spread that CDE experience as really that authentic assessment for more students. The online platforms that existed, um, we created a couple in our state and we put those into some shared folders, but any teacher can now access those materials and can deliver them at any time to any group of students. And where those rubrics are so closely aligned to what they might be teaching in their class, it gives a good opportunity for teachers to reach out, use that digital platform and get more students more connected to at least an introductory level CDE. And now we have the expertise to do that. It's a cool realization that the bus trip isn't what makes the FFA contest valuable, right? It's the actual like engagement, utilization of knowledge, competition, all of those things. And we've, we've distilled that it, it, it surprisingly wasn't the hour long trip in the really hot bus to get there and back. It was something else. It was the competition, it was the application and we can leverage that. And the preparation materials that are out there now, our state CDEs in Idaho were just a couple of weeks ago. And the level of competition that stepped back to state CDEs was vastly improved over a pre-COVID event because those students have access to more resources, teachers are more focused, and I think they're providing those opportunities to more students. So to that point, Erin, I think that's a fantastic way to start thinking about CDEs is not the bus ride, but about that learning. And I think when we, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think when we speak about, you know, using the example of the bus ride, I've noticed a lot of those students, um, especially in the early career, they talked about how their students took for granted, in a sense, getting to go to state convention. And I think having that removed and then placing that in, you know, if they do the online portion first, and that's an ultimate goal, I think that kind of heightens and motivates, provides an external motivation for those students further than automatically knowing that they get the trip or they get the day off of school, but instead you have to put more work in the forefront to reach that achievement or that opportunity. And so I think that's a very interesting and I think it's beneficial to a lot of programs. And I think we always compete for those really good kids time. And so knowing that even if they can't go because of other obligations, they still had some exposure to it is also a big benefit. Well, y'all, this has been a fantastic conversation. I so enjoy it. You know, again, all of this is, is not downplaying how big of an impact COVID and everything that's gone along with it has had on us. But I, I think the comments we've got here is we've learned a lot about expanding access to, to, our, to our students that are out there. And as, as Aaron put it several times is really being intentional about assessing what can happen in, in some sort of online or a distance format and what has to happen uh, in that face-to-face -face interaction and, and having that relationship building go through all those things. And I think that's the, the message that I'm hearing from all of us to, to our ag teacher friends and colleagues that are out there is 
be thoughtful with what we're doing. Really make that choice on how you're going to invest your time, build those relationships with what you're doing and, and trying to expand um, access, but also understanding to take care of yourself, to be able to take care of your students and, and, and really um, making those decisions in a conscious way rather than just unconsciously walking through like a zombie through the through this calendar and the schedule making those things work so so cassie reagan aaron tyson thank you so much for being part of this first two-parter first round table for owl pellets um fantastic conversation like like we said we just we, we pulled this group together and we knew it would be great and so for becky mike I'm Brian. Thank you all for our panel. Thank you all for listening to Al Pellet's Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Al Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Al Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.